صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Yusuf. Good morning, Nasser. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, gentlemen. And the three of us are back. Today, I think we're going to speak a little bit about um, uh, Gaza and in particular about Mohammed Al-Halabi, who uh, has been in prison now for 1,228 days for stealing $30 million after the Reverend Tim Costello said, but we only ever gave him seven and a half. Allegedly. Allegedly. So what, well, this has been going for three years and we've heard three nothing and, and now... Oh, look, there's been a little bit in the newspapers along the journey, particularly early on when the, um, well, the Israelis and, and the Zionists and the Israel lobby here in Australia has been very uh, ferocious in its efforts to defund any aid to Palestine. In the first instance, it's worked through um, uh, making aid organisations uh, through ACFID, be it Action Abroad or World Vision, etc., to stop a feeder, to stop sending money, but also for the Australian government to stop sending money to UNRWA. Mm. Um, and they've been very uh, efficacious at that in the United States where um, uh, uh, we don't want to call him president, what do we want to call him? The idiot in charge of the United States, Donald Trump, has uh, <laughs> um, defunded UNRWA and caused significant challenges to Palestinians. And also, we, from there, we will talk about how Israel is uh, putting more layers of pain and injustice to the medical sector of uh, Palestinians and particularly Gaza and how uh, they uh, punish the victims of their uh, siege, uh, the ones who go to West Bank for treatment. Um, we also have uh, maybe a bit of an update on uh, the Palestinians in Lebanon and in the bigger picture now with the Lebanese uh, large-scale uh, protests. And uh, a little bit more. Is there any other topics? And then we have to give the updates of everything coming up for Pal-Vember. Yes. Which is a very exciting month okay. for Palestinians in Melbourne. Now, Nasha, you've got something on colonialism. You know, Rob, we talk about colonialism in the sense as Australians, you know, living on indigenous, indigenous land that was stolen off their Aboriginals. And settler colonialism is what's happened here, as has happened in, in Palestine. But I was reading it... Uh, in a book recently, and I, I made some notes, and I can't remember the book, so forgive me. Uh, That's handy. <laughs> um, but th- there's, colonialism comes in in three models. Model A is just steal resources, and that model is British India. Go in there, massive violence, take the resources. We're bringing civilization and religion to you, so you should be happy, but in the meantime, we'll take the gold, the diamonds, the rubber, etc. Eventually, the people get the means to expel and because there was never enough humans there, the British left, you know, we, 1948. Then there's the American-Australian model, where you come in and complete or nearly complete a genocide of all the indigenous peoples. There's that level of uh, colonialism. And there's the Israeli... And also loot the resources. Loot, of course, yeah, but you're replacing the people. Mm. In India, the British just went, they had mm. created the Raj, mm. and they just took the cash and let the people be the people, starve them, kill them, etc. 
America and Australia, you know, you almost wipe them out completely. What's left? You live in reservations, get them addicted to alcohol. Their life expectancy is reduced compared to the rest of the population. Their incarceration rates are much higher, infant mortality higher. You know, you completely despise them, dispossess them and ruin them. Um, and then you have the Israeli model, which is kill ethnically clans the land for, the sole, for their sole use. Yeah? Um, and this is 4867. And then you have the South African version, which is you're there and you're a minority and you take the resources, but you're not in the British model where you're, um, uh, you, you, you leave. Uh, mm. and just send money away, you're actually there, and then you move the indigenous people into the Bantustans and uh, reservations. Uh, and eventually you actually institute apartheid. Um, and then you get Israel of 2019, which is a beautiful mix of all three. We take all the evilness of all three and put them all into one, and you get a new level of colonialism, which is Israeli apartheid settler colonialism. Mm. This is uh, trademark Nasser Mashni, 2019. It's a sad state of affairs that this has been going on for years and what we do to humans. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And also uh, to, to make that uh, legitimate and legalized by uh, bills like the state, the nation state uh, bill that passed the parliament last year and to institutionalize and legalize this apartheid and legalize this land theft and genocide and make it look like, you know, it's no longer uh, a bad thing. Well, then you can, can you know, co-opt and coerce and uh, manage relationships across the Western world, yeah? mm. and you get the uh, compliant media that uh, um, you know wants to hear one narrative, and that narrative is you know white is good, brown, black, Muslim, Judeo-Christian, all those narratives, and suddenly you know everybody's a bad guy. You know, Palestinians teach their killed children to hate. You know, in fact, we want life. There's so much uh, to be said or reflected on this, uh, but uh, it's, it's an important statement to be made. And um, uh, one thing, just one thing, is that Israel managed to create a barrier between what is a member of the citizen or what is a citizen to the state and what is a part of the nation. So while Palestinians of Israel hold Israeli passports, they will never be part of the nation. Mm-hmm. They will never be part of the nation because they belong to the wrong ethnic group or religion in that mm-hmm. particular uh, framework. They might be citizens, but they will never be part of that Jew- or, or the nation. They don't call it the Jewish nation because by definition you are excluding non-Jews. Mm-hmm. But they called it the nation and they, ex- they excluded non-Jews out of it. And therefore... Um, this is, like Nasser said, uh, a, a, a mixture or a blend of three ugly facets of uh, colonialism that the Palestinians have to endure uh, taking. So, mm. moving on to Gaza. Yeah, yeah. So, um, next week, uh, um, Mohammed Al-Halabi, who is, um, he was the manager of World Vision's programs uh, in Gaza, has, uh, so theoretically it's his final court date. He should find out what um, what his sentence is. And just to remind our listeners, it's now been three and a half years since he was in jail. He's, he had a son, was an infant when he moved in, um, when he was imprisoned, excuse me. He was uh, held captive for um, 52 days, interrogated by the Shin Bet. He's lost hearing in one of his ears. He's had 127 court dates in three years and still um, still not had a, 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 a verdict. A verdict. 
Um, there's no evidence either. There's no. Well, I mean, the Israelis have got evidence. Of course, yeah, they've got their evidence, and they have accused him of being an agent of Hamas and uh, um, of funneling millions of dollars into Hamas tunnels and diverting um, uh, food, steel, etc., from the needy to um, um, uh, to Hamas. And I mean, if he is guilty of what they charge him, they should, in fact. Um, you know, this guy is a modern-day prophet because um, DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and um, Trade, uh, has cleared World Vision because it's World Vision Australia program. World Vision and DFAT both did forensic audits. They spent in, in, in the realms of $3 million doing audits of all the monies that they've ever uh, gone through to Gaza, through to Mohammed al-Halabi's uh, uh, control. Um, Israel's accused him of siphoning $30 million so somehow he's mm. turned seven and a half into thirty, um, you know, a factor of four hundred percent. And uh, well, this yeah. this is the bombastic part of it at the beginning, wasn't it? Because I know that uh, Tim Costello came out and said that we've never given them anywhere near that amount. Yeah. The total was seven million. And you know what's interesting is that all it takes for Israel to throw an allegation of accusation for our media to pick it up and take it like a fact. Mm-hmm. And deal with this, uh, de- de- deal with it as an undisputed fact, yeah. just because Israel has said so. Well, the, the whole purpose is to, you know, create and to intimidate international aid organisations from carrying out very legitimate work um, mm. in, in Gaza. It's to, you know, to halt the humanitarian aid. Mm. And you know, as we know, Gaza, two million people, three hundred and sixty-five square kilometres, desperate for world aid, particularly after the three. Um, Massive uh, hostilities. Hostilities, yeah. Um, so World Vision, for the past three and a bit years, has suspended its aid. Um, we we were, uh, Australians of Palestine, instrumental in creating an orphan sponsorship program with World Vision that allowed um, uh, people to choose to sponsor not just any child anywhere, but in fact to choose to sponsor a Palestinian child, boy or girl, in Gaza, East Jerusalem, West Bank, or in the refugee camps in Lebanon. And that program ran for the best part of a year until um, they decided to pull that specific program. And you can still sponsor a kid. Um, you just can't have a... We had an actual specific form that was for Palestinians. And um, I, my family and I, we sponsored six children. And for three and a half years, they haven't received any of the money. The money has been going to World Vision. They're quarantining it in the hope that one day they'll be able to release it. But just to give uh, our listeners an idea... Um, Hamad is, uh, has been in jail for 1,200 days, three and a half years, that his family is only allowed to visit him once every two months. Only three relatives are allowed to go and see him. It's a 12-hour trip from Gaza for a half-hour visit, and the visit's conducted through armoured plate glass. Um, and is this legal? I know that they do over really it's common practice, against, but anywhere else in the world, could it's you It's against could you international this? law. Once every Israel, two months. Israel is defying the logic and defying every law. Yeah. And uh, I want Nasser to finish because I want to reflect on this particular point. Yeah. So uh, during during his um, 52 days of uh, interrogation by the Shin Bet, I mean 52 days, beating, sleep deprivation, etc., he lost 40% of um, his hearing. And because of conversations over via a phone link, you know, they're, they're very hard. And Muhammad's youngest son, Ferdas, who's four years old, has never actually touched his... Uh, hasn't touched his dad for mm. since that he can remember because the last time his dad saw him, he was, you know, only a few months old. 
So Israel, uh, the way it deals with the, the prisoners from Gaza and West Bank is that uh, all of the Isra- all of the jails, all of the prisons are in historical Palestine, are in proper Israel. Hmm. So they are not allowed to do that by international law. So any occupying power, uh, according to international law, cannot transfer prisoners from their country to another country and allegedly um, all of the prisons whether in uh, Megiddo or all of the infamous uh, infamous uh, prisons that we hear about uh, in Israel are in Israel they are not in West Bank mm. nor in Gaza and therefore think of the suffering of the members of the families of the prisoners when they want to visit it's like they are they have to go through the same procedures go, of going to a foreign country not to mention that these visits are um, ex- made extremely painful on purpose uh, so that the pain extend yeah. extends to include not just the prisoner but his or her um, uh, uh, family members mm-hmm. and friends and um, w- w- one of the things that I keep discovering as you dig deeper is uh, how Israel is is, is, is doing more policies to inflict more pain. For example, uh, uh, the court, if, if, you, if, if you are a prisoner in Negev, which is the south of Palestine, the court is deliberately to the furthest north mm. so that the journey becomes even longer. And this is done on purpose. So we can talk more about the pr- 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 prisoners well, later. Yeah, yeah. But three years in Israeli prison is not just what you might think. Don't a short think, drive to Pentridge Don't or something. think Australian prisons when mm-hmm. we talk about Israeli prisons. On, on, that, um, on that note, and talking about the Machiavellian machinery that is the apparatus of, of, of the state terrorism that Israel inflicts upon Palestinians, in 2003 there was a, an Israeli sociologist. And, you know, we're talking about an incremental, uh, slow ethnic cleansing genocide that the Israelis are perpetuating on uh, Zionism in its desire for an ethnically pure Jewish state on historic Palestine is creating. This uh, Israeli so- uh, sociologist who, in his evolution of his thinking, you know, obviously saying the word genocide with all of the challenges that the the Jews have gone through through two millennia, mm-hmm. it's not an easy word for them for him to come up with. But uh, his name was Baruch Kimmerling, and he invented a word called politicized. And he did this in 2003, before Sharon's disengagement, before the siege. And, and w- this is how he, uh, how he defined it. The first is the destruction of the Palestinian public sphere, including its leadership, social and material infrastructure. The second effect is to make everyday life for the Palestinians increasingly unbearable, unbearable by destroying the private sphere and any possibility of normalcy and stability. All of these conditions are designed to lower Palestinian expectations, crush their resistance, isolate them, make them submit to any arrangement suggested by the Israelis, and eventually cause their voluntary mass immigration from the land. Mm. Mm. But you know what? It's not working. It's not working. We are not going anywhere. I know there are waves of economic pressures that now Palestinian youth are considering migrating to improve Mm. their economic situation, especially in Gaza. But on a larger scale, the bad news for Zionists is that the first time ever since Nakba, ever since Nakba, 
um, the Palestinian Arabs outnumbered Jews in historical yeah. Palestine. That's from the river to the sea. Yeah. First time since 48 that we outnumbered Jews. And the figures are as follows. Uh, the Palestinian Arabs are 6.8 million. The Israeli Jews are 6.6 million. So we are winning by 200,000. That's a very bad news for, <laughs> for the Zionists who have been betting on the wrong horse. Yeah. For for more than seventy years. Well, you just got to back humanity, you know. Mm. And that's having said that, that is not. I don't want to feed into us versus Jews, Arabs versus Jews. No, no, no. no. Uh, there is no problem between Arabs and Jews historically. In fact, Jews were protected by Islam or Arabs in in in, in Andalus, in North Africa, in, in Middle East, in several, and they know that. Um, but but it's this evil ideology of Zionism that want to do so much damage to both um, both nations, whether Arabs and Jews, for 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 political reasons. Yeah, so it's us against them, as mm. far as they're concerned. And uh, speaking also on Gaza, uh, the siege for after thirteen years or more has destroyed the medical sector, uh, mm-hmm. literally. Uh, and made it uh, dysfunctional to a great extent, not to mention that this, the hospitals uh, are banned from importing uh, yep. supplies or importing equipments. Or what, uh, what sort of supplies are they banned this, from r- having? Inc- including, you know, plaster aid, including, yeah, including bandages, bandage, anesthetics. anesthetics. On top of all of that, because of the frequent power outages mm. and the cost of... Sh- uh, uh, generating power with a generator, hmm. so operations get cancelled, or you know, p- patients are lost on the operating table because suddenly the doctors can't see. You know, they're operating by mobile hmm. phone torchlights. Hmm. Hmm. So, so there is, there's nearly nothing un- 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 unaffected in the medical sector. So, you can expect the patients when they when they go to 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 the very few hospitals we have in Gaza Strict and find no way or means. For treatment, and uh, so uh, the, the second step is treatment in the West Bank. Yeah. And now, because Israel is besieging Gaza and is occupying West Bank, so they can control who can join the patient, uh, who can accompany uh, from the family member. And in the last few years, we have so many um, ev- pieces of evidence that they've been depriving um, depriving the mother or, or, or the father of, of, of children to join them for treatment in, uh, in West Bank. And the story I want to talk about is uh, about um, um, maybe a one-year-old baby from Gaza who was uh, sent to uh, Hebron for treatment and uh, whose Israel deprived his mother from joining him. However, a beautiful um, lady from Hebron decided to be the mother you know, the second mother. So her name is Anwar Irfa'iyah. She's 22. She became, she dedicated her life to the care and service of this baby until he returns. And I really want to um, acknowledge the work of uh, Anwar Irfa'iyah uh, from Hebrew, not just because, not just this one person, but it's the solidarity that the Israelis will never be able to crush. Uh, and they wouldn't allow the mother to They would not allow the mother. And the baby was sent on his own, uh, and of course he he felt the loss of his mother uh, very d- deeply. And uh, somebody has to stand up. Uh, and uh, I really want to say thank God for uh, Anwar and people like her. Uh, 
and thank God for the Palestinian solidarity. And but I also want you to imagine the evil uh, policies of the occupation. So they first besieged Gaza, they made this, the sector uh, dysfunctional, and then they deprive uh, the patients and their relatives from having a humane treatment. It's horrible. It's horrible. Well, you know, if we, if we talk about that, there's a couple of other stories, Yusuf. And, and the first one is um, Khad al Saidi. He's a Gazan fisherman. He's been imprisoned previously. The Israelis have, you know, shot up his boat, even though, according to Oslo, he should be able to go to 20 miles, but never been allowed to go past six. He's been in prison for 14 months. In February this year, the Israeli Navy attacked his boat again, um, shot him from close range with 15... He got hit 15 times with rubber bullets, shattered his eye sockets. He was detained. One of his eyes was removed. Um, They told him his second eye could be saved but needed complicated surgery. Um, four days later, he was dumped in Gaza. Um, when he, when the um, Haaretz, the newspaper, questioned uh, uh, the army, saying, can we bring him back so that he can get the other eye fixed, his permit was denied because his injury did not constitute mortal danger. So it's okay it, for him it, to go it's blind. Just, it's just the eye. Yeah. It's um, just his other eye because yeah. he lost one. So the stats this year, this year, on children from Gaza... Um, and this is in the first six months of this year, 56 infants were separated from their parents in mm. hospital. Mm. Hiba Swami, she's 24. She was pregnant with triplets. Um, her triplets came two months early. So, you know, um, A, triplets, even if they went full term, would be very low yeah. weight anyway. But having two months early, only a seven-month gestation period, and triplets, they were in need of intensive uh, medical treatment. Her permit expired before the kids were okay. So she was sent back to Gaza. Her triplets stayed there. One died nine days after she left, and the other two weeks later. According to doctors at Al-Makasid Hospital, one of the babies could have survived if it had been breastfed. Surviving babies... Denial, denial breastfeeding. Yeah. You know, this is the, the, the state... But an, an infant with. needs to have its mother as well. Mm. Needs to have its mother. Correct. So two of the, her children died without her being there. The surviving baby spent months alone, cared for by nurses. And the only way Salwain could see her child was by video phone mm. when the phones were charged. Only when the story, was, the story was picked up by Britain's Guardian newspaper did somehow the Israelis' authorities relent and they gave uh, uh, her a permit to go collect her child. And uh, somehow the survivors of this brutality, when they, when they resist, eventually when they grow up, they are labelled as haters. Why do they hate us? Because we've never done anything wrong to them. Mm-hmm. So moving on to a regional awakening of uh, Arab, uh, maybe the second wave of Arab Spring. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, we've seen it at the beginning of this year and towards the end of last year in Sudan. And they managed, uh, after uh, months of protesting uh, peacefully in Khartoum and Umdurman and other Sudanese cities, uh, that they were able to topple al-Bashir after uh, more than three, three decades of dictatorship. And then that encouraged uh, the people of Algier, Algeria to say no to the fifth renewal, fifth renewal of the presidential term of President Abdelaziz Bouteflika. And then they managed to, 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 to create some core change to the electoral uh, uh, system in Algeria. And the, the Algerian protest is still happening. And then after that, uh, we have seen um, unexpectedly the Iraqis 
um, protesting against 16 years of uh, failure, dysfunctionality, and corruption. It started at the beginning of uh, October in the areas where the leading ruling political parties are from. Mm -hmm. So it's the constituency of the ruling party. And I, I hate to use the terms used in the, in the Western media. It's the Shias or, or cities that are predominantly Shia uh, that are protesting against their own Shia political parties, mm -hmm. particularly Al-Dawa and Al-Badr and other... Uh, and, and now, um, as of the last few days, Lebanon has joined uh, the wave. And uh, they first, um, I think the story in every country is different, but we don't want to generalize. Now, I think the Lebanese uh, uh, protests were driven by rejection of an extra uh, tax imposed by or wanted to be imposed by the government on WhatsApp. And that was the spark. And now we're, we're, we're seeing nearly a week after that um, Lebanese people in Lebanon and in diaspora. We've seen them here in Melbourne and in Sydney and elsewhere around the world protesting against sectarianism, against corruption, against a system that really paralyzed the um, the country. Now, the big question, where is the Palestinian Lebanese into all that? And the, 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 the quick and short answer is that they're not uh, part of it because it's a Lebanese issue. But the early signs of this political or social unrest started in a Palestinian context inside Lebanon, where the labor minister, Kamil Abu Salman, Kamil Abu Suleiman, uh, issued a ruling uh, or wanted to pass a law uh, to put more barriers against the Palestinians of Lebanon and to treat them like foreigners. Although they were second and third generation Lebanese, and of course that sparked uh, outcry among the Palestinian camps. And of course we've seen this uh, Lebanese uh, large-scale uh, protest three months after the Palestinian part of the story. Uh, so uh, I don't want to call it as a direct result, but it is not unconnected, in, uh, if, 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 if I oh. can say. I noticed the, uh, the Lebanese riots so far... Uh sort of very quite peaceful. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's something that will be sustained or do you think it'll take a turn? So from uh, observing the Arabic uh, outlets, uh, some would say that uh, it might turn ugly, especially when the constituency of uh, Hezbollah and Amal and uh, Al-Aun and other political parties uh, resist the, the social protest and it might be uh, another wave of civil unrest. Uh, but others will say um, the army will prevent that. The Lebanese army has made it clear that we will defend the protesters. And I could see, I could see uh, good signs because it would have, it would have um, taken a day or two to see violence if there is an intention to escalate. Like what we've seen in Iraq, for example. First day was okay, second day was brutal. Uh, in Lebanon, now it's been a week and uh, still peaceful. And I really hope that they are learning from the experience of the 15 year of civil war that, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've tasted uh, the bitterness of civil uh, mm. fighting. And this is in vivid memory. 
the end of the Lebanese civil war was 1991. So it's not very long time ago. So there, I, I really hope and uh, uh, that that they, having seen all, all the brutalities of the 15 years of civil war, that they're learning. I hope so. I think we should. Um, so many of our listeners wouldn't know Yusuf about Lebanon's constitution that was written by the French uh, post World War Two that mandates who should be president, who should be prime minister. You know, and it's bisect. Sadly, Lebanon's democracy isn't based upon a meritocracy. If you're a Sunni, you get to vote for a Sunni candidate that ends up being allowed to be prime minister. Can't be president and, you know, etc. Can't be the Speaker of the Parliament. Can't be the Speaker of the House, etc., etc., etc. So hopefully this, um, uh, these protests will be able to destroy this co- constitution. And because the beautiful thing about Lebanon is just the beautiful mix. Yeah, I mean, you have a situation where the Shia... Um, uh, Hezbollah were able to uh, throw the Israelis out of um, Lebanon and you know the Maronites who uh, are a, a, a Catholic se- uh, a sect of Catholicism were cheering the, the Shia on to, for, for getting rid of their co-conspirators from the late 70s and early 80s so you know Lebanon is a beautiful place and a wondrous place and a great mix of uh, cultures and religions and uh, Hopefully um, this protest will see, you know, and, and the best thing about the protest, as we were speaking about before, Yusuf, off-air, is um, it is not sectarian. No, no. They are, they are just Lebanese, united in their love for Lebanon mm-hmm. and a desire to have a representational government. So they have our voices and hopefully they will bring about a positive outcome mm-hmm. to Lebanon and to all of us. Uh, with this, we have come to the end, believe it or not, uh, of our program, 29 Minutes. See you next week. Thanks, boys. And uh, we should remind our listeners to go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au, to find out details of Pelvember. Yes. Until then, have a great time and salam.